I'd like to invite you to turn to the first page of the Bible. Page 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It's both a great privilege and responsibility to bring God's Word to us this morning. And as you turn to Genesis 1-1, I want to give you a little vision for where I would I'd like us to journey over the next few months, if the Lord allows. I would like to walk with you through various portions of the Old Testament. And in particular, portions of the Old Testament that focus on the different covenants that God has made throughout history. God has entered into relationship with His people throughout the ages. And the way that the Bible describes the nature of this relationship is the word covenant. And in a sense, you can understand the whole Bible in this way. That God is gradually building an everlasting, unshakable kingdom through various covenants, which finds its ultimate end in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all God's promises and the one who who brings in an eternal, everlasting covenant for those who trust in Him. God not only made all things and defines all things, but He defines the the terms by which we enter into this kind of relationship with Him. We don't define that ourselves. Jesus puts it like this in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. So He has defined how we will enter into relationship with, with the eternal God. And I know that passages like this perhaps are familiar, but I want to encourage you to put the familiarity to the side to some degree and look again in a fresh way at these words. Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters and God said let there be light and there was light God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning the first day and God said let there be a vault between the waters to separate the water from water So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land and gathered the water the gathered waters he called seas and god saw that it was good then god said let the land produce vegetation seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds and it was so the land produced vegetation plants bearing seed according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw 
that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the third day and God said let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth and it was so God made two great lights the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night he also made the stars God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness and God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day and God said let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky so God created the creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind and God saw that it was good God blessed them and said be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth and there was evening and there was morning the fifth day and God said let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds the livestock the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals each according to its kind and it was so God made the wild animals according to their kinds the livestock according to their kinds and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds and God saw that it was good then God said let us make mankind in our image in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground so God created mankind in his own image in the image of God he created them male and female he created them God blessed them and said to them be fruitful and increase in number fill the earth and subdue it rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground then God said I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it they will be yours for food and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground everything that has the breath of life in it I give every green plant for food and it was so God saw all that he had made and it was very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array by the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing so on the seventh day he rested from all his work and then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done let us pray Father, once again, we thank you for these words of life that you've given us that teach us the foundations of literally everything.
And there's so much we could consider just in this first page of your holy word. But help us now to see what, what we need to see and to be moved and shaped by it. Do this as you alone can for the glory of your name in which we ask these things. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I have entitled this sermon, Lord of Heaven and Earth. And I have three points. I know there's many things we could think about, but I have three points for us to consider, which this text shows, and which this text calls us to believe and submit our lives to. And the first point is this. God here is showing us His own nature. So firstly, the nature of God. And secondly, the nature of creation. And thirdly, the purpose of creation. So let's look at this first point. The nature of God. Now to some degree, this might seem like a silent point. In other words, this text might not say many different words about this. But look again at the first four words of Scripture. Just the first four words. In the beginning, God. Before anything is said, about any part of creation, we're first introduced to this ultimate character. The ultimate character of both the Bible and of all human history. God Himself, the divine being, the one who existed before time, exists independently apart from time, and then created time and space and matter and everything within that. This is the one true God When Moses wrote these words thousands of years ago, when he wrote these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he was in the context of a world that's actually not so different from the world we live in today. Many cultures, if not most cultures, believe that there were multiple gods. One god for the sun, one god for the sea, another god for something else. Many personal gods but not one of them had the strength or the wisdom to manage all of creation. That was the concept that Moses himself would have grown up with in Egypt, especially where the sun god would have been one of the greatest in his mind. As you may recall, though, which he records for us in Exodus 3, there was a time in history in Moses' life where he was confronted by the one true and living God. God revealed to Moses and to us now how he created the world, which is what we have here in Genesis 1. And this is not a science textbook or a philosophy textbook. This is the one who created all things, telling us as much as he wants us to know about how we came to be. Have you been confronted by the one true and living God? Has He arrested your heart to accept these truths? Perhaps that's happening now. And if it is, I I pray that you'll pay attention to this word, friend. But do you see here how God is in first place? Where does God fit into our busy lives? We get caught up in doing what needs to be done into our schedules. And God becomes somewhat of an afterthought. After we've made plans and big decisions, we say, well, let me quickly go to God and ask for His blessing on it. But these words remind us 
who is to be first and foremost in the middle of any, everything that we're doing. In the beginning, God. The one true God was present. The one who had no beginning. Timeless, eternal. There's really no sufficient or comprehensive way for us to explain who God is. He alone is uncreated. He's self-existent. He's self-sufficient. He's independent. He's infinite. He doesn't have limits. He's unlimited in all of his attributes or his characteristics, in his wisdom and his power, his goodness. These are realities which the Bible later speaks about. But here it seems to just quietly and quickly move past and take for granted these truths. Again, this is because God himself is the one behind Moses who's speaking to us. To speak about God's nature is trying to describe his essence, his character. And this is vitally important. Sometimes we need to pause and go back to these basics. Many people who are going through services like this on many Sundays claim to believe in God but don't understand who He is. Do we? Have we started to take for granted the wonder of who God is? The prophet Jeremiah in chapter 9 verses 24 through 25 says this, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, or the rich man boast in his riches, or the strong man boast in his strength. But let the one who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That is something to rejoice in, knowing this God. This is the prophet Isaiah asking some rhetorical questions to get us to think about the majesty of God. He says this in Isaiah 40, 12 through 14. Who has measured the waters? In other words, which of us? Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand, marked off the heavens? I was chuckling about this this morning. Our daughter was watching a show where Twinkle Twinkle Little Star came on and one of them fell down and they took a slingshot and threw it back up. It was ironic that I saw it just before we made, it, made our way over here, but this is what Isaiah is getting us to think about. Who has held the dust of the earth or the whole planet in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the, the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? In other words, about what he did in creation. Did he have to seek out the wisdom of science or philosophy? No. Verse 14. Who did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? This is the uncreated God who does not need to grow in any sense. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says this about God's nature as seen in creation. Romans 1.20 Paul says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So again, from passages like this, God shows us that one of the ways He displays Himself to us 
His invisible qualities, His glory, is through this natural realm of creation. We will return to this a little bit more in our last point, but let's just be clear about this. When we open the Scriptures, this book we call the Bible, it's fundamentally and ultimately about God Himself. This is not a book that we come to to get secret keys and passwords for life, to get our best life now. This is where we come to know the truth about who God is and who we are with a proper understanding in relation to who God is. This is the, the one true God who is the, so, the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. And all of creation in light of Him is to be understood, which brings us to the second point. The nature of creation. Notice a few things in each of the days of creation. Firstly, this grand master plan that we see, God unfolding, it, it's orderly. God is not a God of chaos, but a God of order. And His logical creativity is on display in this historical account of creation. You see how God made everything according to its own kind? See the repeated words there? Certain kind of animals and plants according to their kinds. This takes something that could be called macroevolution, an idea that Charles Darwin created, that the elements of creation somehow keep morphing over the years into different kinds of things. And it smashes that idea to pieces. Charles Darwin and no one else was there when God created the world. So, as Christians, when we send our children to school, we need to let them think about it for themselves to some degree. But we need to be ready to help them understand all the things they're learning in the context of this truth. Everything was made according to its kind. Monkeys were made according to the monkey's kind, and human beings according to their kind the highest kind in all of creation, made in the image of God. This is expressed both in the way that God defines the purpose for each part of His creation, and then also the phrase, it was good. When God says it was good, it was good, He's not talking about evil versus righteousness. What He's actually talking about is it works the way it's supposed to work, in the best possible functioning way along with the other components of creation everything was good also notice the plain description of the words day each day has this refrain this 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 phrase repeated and there was morning and there was evening another day god created the stars and the the sun and the moon so that we could figure out before we had rolexes what time is and how to determine it. And if you read this account of creation, I, I, I would respectfully suggest to you that as a Christian, it is a lack of faith to reject this very clear and simple reading of God making everything in six literal 24-hour days. Now, there's a lot of other teachers who use the same Bible and teach otherwise. And this is not 
the most important point for us to think about. But just read through it simply and think about what it's telling you here. God making everything in six days and then resting on the seventh, which is the only day that doesn't have those words, and there was morning and there was evening. That's, uh, that's a topic for another sermon about what it means to rest in, in God's rest. This progression of an obvious six-day week of creation also finds its highest point, again, in what? Day six, the creation of mankind. God creates man, not any other part of creation, but just man in his own image. And within this six-day creating man in his own image, we see that God places us in a world where we have everything we need. The food to nourish our bodies, the ability to again tell time and to discern what is going on around us. And God creates us in a way that we're personal beings like Him. We can look around us and discern. Not only can we communicate between the two different sexes, genders, and have that kind of relationship, but also we can make decisions about how to take care of this world God has placed us in. That is part of what it means that He made us in His image. God declares that not, not just that mankind is good, but that with us in this world, to steward it, before sin entered, to steward it as we would have without sin, He says, it was very good. In our original nature, before sin entered and caused the confusion that we see, which we'll get to in the next couple chapters, we see that we, human beings, were made to be the greatest blessing to this planet out of all creation. We're limited in our wisdom, we're limited in our strength, but even with that, we had a pure desire and a devotion to follow God's will and to take care of this world He placed us in, to rule over and care well for this creation. But we were always made to be dependent on Him and His Word, to look to Him. Unlike Him, we're not independent. And this begs the question, are we today, those who are believers, God's people in this covenant with Christ, are we living daily by faith in His Word, depending on His guidance and strength, or just doing as we please. Because we can get caught up in that pattern of living too if we're not careful. Again, we're limited in all of our qualities. So we're made to continually look to the infinite, unlimited Lord of heaven and earth for the wisdom, the strength, and the help that we need to live a godly life to steward this earth and to be a blessing to all of creation. Ultimately, this moving from Genesis 1 forwards to this day forces us to ask this question, what has actually happened? If things were good and very good, what has taken place? And again, we'll look at this more, but we need to think about this today. One way you could understand it is this. When we see Genesis chapter 3, what we know is the fall, we chose to look to another being 
and his word. God's word versus Satan's word, his lies. And we looked to him and trusted in his word in hopes that we could be more than we were made to be in Adam. We didn't just want to be image bearers of God, but we wanted to be equals with God. And this is something that none of us would have done better than Adam or Eve. We mustn't think that about ourselves. That's very arrogant. We would have done the same thing and ended up in the same position. Last but not least, we need to understand not just the nature of creation, but the purpose of creation. What is the ultimate purpose for creation? Why did God create? Was he lonely? Did he need us? Look with me again at the, the psalm that we read for our responsive reading. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 19 and just look at the first verse. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Inanimate objects that don't, that don't have elements that don't have a brain to think or a mouth to speak that are impersonal forces in the hands of Almighty God. What is the purpose of those created elements? To declare the glory of God. The heavens and all of creation, especially mankind, were made for the glory of God. People search for all kinds of questions. And one of the big ones that's behind all of our questions is, what is my purpose in life? What am I here for? Who am I? We have to come to this text, Genesis 1, to see the foundation of who we are and what our purpose is. But this is it, the glory of God. It's always been our greatest good to live in line with that. This is one way that the, the psalmist puts it in Psalm 115, verse 1. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory, because of your love and your faithfulness. This is how our hearts were originally designed to function, to see God be praised and glorified, not ourselves. But as I was pointing out before, let's be real about it. We do love to receive praise and honor and glory. We do. Sin has distorted us. We have become what you could call little glory snatchers. But God alone will have glory one way or another. Either we will become those who enter into this covenant through Christ and try our best with God's help to live for His glory and live in that way eternally because of God's grace. Or, at the end of time, God will be glorified through our judgment for that same everlasting period of time. And He's being patient. For even in the hearing of these words right now, if any of us listening have not turned to Christ in faith, 
It is Him who is giving you the breath in your lungs and the blood running through your veins. It is His world. This is my Father's world, as one old hymn puts it. And He's very patient. But His patience will reach a point where He will exercise His justice. God alone will have the glory. I'll touch on this point again briefly in a minute and later on as we get to the next two chapters. But let's clarify one more thing in terms of our purpose, the purpose of creation. God did not need us. Listen to these words spoken by Jesus himself shortly before his crucifixion. If you read John chapter 13 through 17, you have the historical account of what we call the upper room. When Jesus and his followers had met in a room to celebrate what was known as Passover. When God had rescued the the Israelites from the land of Egypt. And the final of those tenth plagues where God was showing that he is the one true God against all the false gods of Egypt was known as the Passover. When the death angel was coming to execute judgment on the firstborn. And the only way to escape this judgment was by sacrificing an innocent lamb and placing the blood of that lamb over the doorpost of your house. They were celebrating this in the upper room as good Jews would. But Jesus says to his followers that from now on, this will be known as something that we call the Lord's Supper. This will now represent this, this wine and bread will represent the, the shed blood and the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ for whoever believes in Him. And He says these words in John 17, verse 5. And now, Father, this is a prayer. He's speaking to His Father. He says, Now, Father, glorify Me, Jesus Christ. Glorify Me in Your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. The glory, did you get that? That I had with you before the world began. Now if Jesus was not equal to God the Father, and He said, Father, glorify me, that would have been blasphemy. But He also says that He already shared in that glory before time began before space and matter and time was brought into existence. And the Apostle John explains Genesis 1 a little bit more thoroughly for us in the first three verses of John. And to make sure that, that people know who he's talking about, let me, let me state John 1.14 says this, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father full of grace and truth. It's the same John who in 3.16, he says, God so loved the world that he sent his only son. But notice what John says in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, see the similarity with Genesis 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, this Word, through Jesus Christ, All things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. So we come back to Genesis 1.26 again. Let us, 
If I stand here as one person before you and start talking, yes, what do you think about such and such? I don't know. I was thinking we should, I would be considered a madman. In Genesis 1.26, when we see the words, let us make man in our likeness and image, what we're supposed to understand then is that this is the Father speaking an authoritative word to the Son. And in a mysterious but real eternal submission, the Son, in obedience, creates all things. From the very first act of creation all the way to the end of the sixth day, it comes from the very hand of Jesus Christ Himself. And as verse 1 points out, the Spirit who is hovering over the face of the deep. So who is this one true God? This one true God who exists eternally. He is one being or one in his nature, in his essence, and three in his persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He needs nothing. The purpose of creation did not come from a need because that would mean God lacks something. He is independent of any needs. And He could have remained as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit without making time or any of us. We're just not that amazing. But we do think too highly of ourselves. God did not create because He needed us. But out of His good pleasure, He created all things with this primary purpose of us participating in the display of His glory and trying to do a good job of helping all creation to do the same. To experience, as, as uh, one of the Christmas hymns we sing, Joy to the World, says, to experience the wonders of His love, the wonders of His love, His everlasting love. And this is something that God is appealing to you and I this morning to believe in. If this is something that you have not yet trusted in, God through me is appealing to you this morning to say, come, come to me and you will find rest for your soul. Because He, just like, just like He finished His work of creation, He has finished a work of salvation for all who turn to Him. Those were the last words that Jesus said on the cross. It is finished. So as we continue, we're going to see more specifically how our nature and all of creation became corrupted and that the only answer to solve the greatest problem lies in God alone and in His grace in sending His only Son to make all things new, starting with each of us who become new creations through faith in Christ. Is that you this morning? Do you want to be made new? If, if we have been made new, let us continue to seek Him all the more. Because this is why everything really exists. For the glory of this eternal Lord of heaven and earth. Let's go to Him now in prayer. Father, we, we thank You again for Your Word. If anything I have said has been confusing or misleading,